0: So this is uh, take number two of uh, this week's episode. Uh, we tried to record it last week, but uh, unfortunately, technical difficulties. So here we are trying to re, uh, re-record the, an episode this week. Um, but, you know, we, I don't want us to just talk about exactly what we said because it's just going to be too easy for us. So we're going to rehash a couple of things. But obviously, a big thing has changed since our last episode. Uh, or even the, when we recorded yesterday, um, the Montreal Canadiens have a new captain. Uh, good old Nick Suzuki was named the 31st captain of the Montreal Canadiens. I think not a surprise, maybe a mild surprise. What do you think, Olsen?
1: For someone who doesn't
0: actively watch the Canadiens
1: that often, is it, I don't know, I found it surprising it wasn't Gallagher.
0: I think that's what everyone thought it, it was going to be, right? Like, Gallagher is a guy who's been there since the very beginning. You know, he was drafted by the... He's kind of been, like, the heart and soul. He's been, like, an assistant captain for, I want to say, like, the last five, six years. Um, I even remember, like, when Weber was like when Weber got traded to Montreal and then was eventually named captain, I think a lot of us were thinking, like, Oh, like they weren't named Weber captain. They will not name Gallagher first because Weber just got here. Um, but like, I could definitely see some people saying like, Oh, Gallagher should have got it. But I mean, if you're looking for it to the forwards, the future, which I think Montreal is doing, you want to name a guy who's going to be captain for a long time there. And his extension is going to kick into season. So you basically are going to have Suzuki as captain there for eight years. And with Gallagher, it's harder to say because, you know, he's an older player. He's not really part of this new core um, for Montreal. So maybe doesn't fit in as much. I mean, he's like, I know you'd love to say like, oh, just because they're named captain doesn't mean like, you know, that's the only person who has like leadership qualities, right? Like, I think Gallagher is always going to be part of that leadership core in the locker room. But just because he doesn't have a C on his chest doesn't mean he isn't a... P- possible captain.
1: What do you mean by possible captain?
0: Like, I think Gallagher could be a captain in most, like if, in most dressing rooms, I think he would be considered a leader. Like he has, I think he has the heart of what you would want in the captain, that desire, that, uh, I don't know. Like he, to me, like he seemed like a guy that you would want you know, to be leading your team.
1: Is that not what a captain is? Yeah.
0: But I think because he's not part of, he he might not be part of the next contending core for Montreal. Maybe that's why they're like, okay, let's we're looking towards the future. So let's name a guy who's going to be, you know, a captain for the future. And I think that's Nick Suzuki. And I think even now, like Nick Suzuki, he has, you know, good leadership qualities. I mean, he was an assistant captain just last year already. So like, I think they, Trust him to be a leader for this team, and I think this was just kind of like a logical next step for him.
1: So, how much of this is that they're kind of skipping in a way, kind of, in a way, like skipping that Gallagher generation and just going straight to the next one?
0: Well, I think, like, if they didn't have such an awful season last season, I think Gallagher would have been captain. But because you know, it sounded like this team didn't look as good as they thought they were going to be Um, a team that like, you know, the year before had just made the Snipe Cup finals, but now finishes, you know, basically last overall, like that was not expected at all. So I think if you're Montreal, like if you, you, you're kind of got like shocked into being like, okay, like maybe we're not a contending team. We need to look at retooling right now. So. Let's like start thinking about the future. Like, if Montreal made the playoffs this season, uh, I mean, last season, and they had gone, like, you know, decently through the playoffs, I think Gallagher would have been the uh, captain. But just because it seems like they're on a retooling stage now, I think it made sense to name a younger guy like Nick Suzuki, who is going to be, you know, a good player and part of their contending core in a couple of years.
1: So, if I understand this correctly, are you saying that? he played himself out of the out of that role or the team played himself out of that role sorry
0: yeah i agree the team played the plate team played too so bad that it made gallagher it made him gallagher not part of like uh the core that like it made it it made marchion not a non a non contender even though i feel like next season like they're not they're not bad. Like, I I know a lot of people are like, oh, like, they finished last in the division. They're probably going to be last again. Like, I think this is a team that's going to be fighting for a playoff spot. Like, if you look at this team, like, defense goalie, maybe not great. But you look at their forward core, I think it's a solid group of players. Like, this isn't a team that's going to be struggling as much as it did last season. I mean, you know, barring injuries and other things that might happen to them that's outside of, you know, their control i think this is still you know a playoff not it's a uh they're a potential playoff team yeah
1: so you know what i'm gonna save this for later i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you we're gonna talk about some more some more atlantic teams in a bit so i'm gonna save this one for later um but do we want to start the show proper now or do you want me to dive straight into what i want to talk about the whole point of this episode for me
0: no, let, let let's start the show proper and then we'll let you dive into what you want to talk about. All right.
1: You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network.
0: So I talked about the Montreal Canadiens, so it's only fair to let Austin talk about the LA Kings. You mean the greatest team in the world? Sorry. Tell me why Mikey Anderson has the best contract for a top four defenseman.
1: Oh, easy. Uh, One year, $1 million. You're not getting a top four for that. You barely even get a top six for that. I would say a $1 million player right now is someone who probably probably plays in the AHL most of the time. But no, they got a top four defenseman um, who played
0: very well. Is relatively young,
1: and is going to be even better this year. Simple as that.
0: I mean, Mikey Anderson, he's not a points guy, right? Like he's a guy who literally put up eight points in fifty-seven games. Um, he's basically um, Drew Doughty's defensive partner. Kind of reminds me of like, um, like a Brian Dumoulin, like, like you know, with when he, Chris Letang's defensive partner in Pittsburgh, right? Like. He isn't flashy, you know. Does his duties, and you know he basically lets Chris Letang do what he needs to do. And I think that's where Mikey Anderson stands for LA Kings. Like he lets Drew Doughty do what he does best, and that's being the greatest defenseman in the league. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say highest paid defenseman in the league, or second highest paid defenseman in the league. But uh, I, I think the the Drew Doughty was definitely missed in um the playoffs when he was out um and I, I think they do need like an elite guy for that defensive you know core to work but i mean i like the mikey anderson deal i don't think it's the best uh top four defenseman deal or th- top four defenseman contract out there but it, it's a pretty good deal i think the main thing is that it's only one year right so uh la is probably going to pay him a lot if they want to sign him to a couple years right
1: well, I think and it comes down to it, yeah, it's it's weird to say, but the Kings are slowly getting to a cap crunch. They only have like I think one point three million, but they're gonna they can they can maneuver and get a bit more, but as of if you ask me of today, exactly the cap front they right now, they have one point three million, right? So obviously that's gonna be hard because they are still going to sign Sean Dersey. And I think when we get down to it like he's gonna get a raise next year. And whether or not this is a, a handshake deal, I don't know. But according to Cap friendly, the comparable was close to comparable with Eric Brandstrom. And I think next year Eric Brandstrom also gets a raise. Right. So I think it, it might be like a hey, you know what? Small sample size, we'll work from there. But at the same time for one million for a top four defender, a solid top four defender, you can't ask for much more.
0: Yeah, like I think he he's he's a good player um i think it's it's almost like if you're la i think you kind of want to see mikey anderson take a slight you know decline just so that you don't have to pay him as much aav when you sign him to a little bit longer term deal um but yeah no no i i think it's a good deal I mean, like, it's a deal for Mikey Anderson. He's going to get paid $1 million. But I think if he signed up, you know, for a couple more years, I think he's betting on himself here that he's going to do well this season, you know, playing with Drew Dirty full time, and then his numbers are going to improve. I would like to throw out the stat here. Um, Last season, there were 97 defensemen that uh, played over 20 minutes per game. Uh, Mikey Anderson going into this season is getting paid the 90th his contract is the 90th most rich contract if that makes sense so the 10th least the 7th least rich One, two, three, four, ninety-seven.
1: 97 right eighth eighth sorry eighth cheapest and is that not a good thing
0: it is, but when you look, there are there are some players that are actually on cheaper deals than Mikey Anderson that are top four defensemen that are better than him. So, like who? Um, there's a guy on New York called K Andre Miller. I would say is probably on a better contract. He's still on his rookie contract. Uh, Nine twenty five. Nope. Uh, how about uh, uh former Calder Trophy winner, uh, Moritz Sider, who's actually got one more year after this year? <laughs> He's getting paid eight six three three three
1: three. Okay, if you're still on your ELC, that doesn't count.
0: Uh, how about uh Leafs great uh, Mark Giordano, who's getting paid eight hundred k for the next two seasons?
1: Uh, no, I'd rather have Mike Anderson.
0: Yeah, I, I. I ah! Would I want Mikey Anderson over Mark Giordano? That's actually a tough question. Well, it depends
1: I, where your team is at, right? If you're the Leafs, you obviously want Giordano. But if you're a team that's like building towards the future, I, I feel like you'd rather have Mikey Anderson.
0: Yeah, no, that's I, I, an interesting question. I, I, I actually don't know who I'd pick. It would take me. I would need some time to think about it. Um, you mentioned Sean Jersey earlier. Um, he's one of the th- nine RFAs that have yet to sign as the time of our recording. I was thinking, why don't we just go through these RFAs and think, you know, if they were to sign a one year deal this moment, what are they signing for? Um, so we'll go with Sean Dersey first, as you mentioned earlier. You know, sixty-four games, twenty seven points. Kind of took the reins on like the offensive defenseman, you know, stereotype for LA when uh daddy got hurt and was out for the season. Um he he's a good player. I I mean a small sample size though, but like if he was to sign a one-year deal that right now, like what is he signing for? Uh
1: he's signing an eight-year deal for 750 per, uh because he loves the team and will do anything for the team. Uh, but no, actually, what does he sign for? Um, I wanna say 2.6 million.
0: Uh that I think that's a fairly you
1: know, where once I was thinking man- through. Yeah, once you maneuver through a couple of the players who would get sent down, I think they have about 2.5, 2.6 two, two million. Um, and looking at Puckpedia, looking at the terror count, I think this year, the season is only counted as 186 days. Uh, last year's 200. So each day that the player is on the LTIR, for example, the accrued value is... Worth more than it is last year. So, if let's say what one million dollar cap it, um, so this is Cornerpocketia, right? A team with one million projected cap space can add four and a half million in annual cap it at the deadline this year versus five million at the deadline last year. Um, One day of one million dollar cap space this year saves five thousand four hundred in final cap it versus five thousand last year. So each day is worth a bit more. Um, so I think that is helping teams maneuver a bit more. And I think Shondors you're on 2.6 is probably solid, probably not a one year deal though.
0: Yeah. Like uh, I know, like yesterday we said, like, do you think starting opening night is Sean you going to be the most expensive defenseman on LA Kings, right? Like I, I wonder if LA regrets signing, well, maybe not regret, but. You know, Matt Roy, Sean Walker, also right handed D, um, different player types, obviously, but signing them to, you know, some decent like, you know, some decent length contracts. Like Matt Roy is gonna be making three one five, uh sorry, three point one five million uh into going to start of the season. Um if Sean Jersey signs, you know, for you know, like a four, maybe well probably a four year contract. Like he probably could make more than uh, Matt Roy, so. Um, yeah, he could make some decent money. Yeah, I agree with you. Who's next? All right, um, let's let's maybe go to another guy who's probably going to get signed for more than one year. But we'll, we'll stick with the the uh, what we're doing right now. Like, if there's just supposed to sign a one year deal, how much are you going to get paid? Um, Jason Robertson. I think the the guess I think for most people. Is like three years, 7 million. But if he were to, you know, bet on himself for some reason and only do a one-year deal, how much is he signing for? Hot take,
1: I think. So, yeah, I think we talked about this yesterday where three years, 7 million. I think two years, 6.5, and one year at 6.
0: So you're saying, like, he'll probably just sign a... If he was to sign a one-year contract, it would just be for, like, 6, 6 million per? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think if you look at Dallas they can only do so much based on, you know, there's cap structure right now, right? Like they don't have that much, they have money, but they don't have a ton of money where they can just, you know, they, if they want to sign into like an eight year deal, they're going to have to move a guy, right? And like a three year term kind of just fits in because it fakes in with the Jake Ottinger timeline. It fits in with the Jamie Benz contract as well. So even the Essel Lindells and the Ryan Suter, it all kind of fits in. So like, it's almost like a perfect bridge deal it just needs to happen, and I think you know it, it's going to come ahead eventually once you know training camp starts and there's a little bit more pressure to sign. But I I think a lot of people are assuming that's going to be the way it's going to go. Um, uh, let's try to see. Let's move on to you know a guy. I think the Leafs are having trouble signing. I I don't know. Like there's a great comparable in Timothy Liljegren, but Rasmus Sandin is still an RFA and. He doesn't really seem to have a spot on his team, but he—I think he has to get signed, right? Like I don't think Toronto can afford to just let him, you know, stay unsigned. I think
1: Rasmus Sandin is more valuable than people give him credit for, and not because necessarily of his skill. I think it comes down to his value of a contract, of an RFA, of a serviceable defenseman. He probably goes for, what, 1.6, 1.7? I think he owes more than Lilligren. Um, and, well, I think just probably because he's younger. Um, and I, I think that he passes the eye test a bit better, to me, in my opinion. But um, it, I, I think he goes for 1.6. Just for a team that's so tight on the cap, they need a guy who can play well and is going to be effective. And then that's Sandin and he does it for cheap. Um, And like, it's, it's, that's what, that's what you need for a team like that. Right. So I think he goes around for 1.6, 1.7. I think very, a degree of confidence. It's a one-year deal just because if you look at it, they have so many guys off the books next year. Right. So they, instead of the negative 1 million they're in right now in cat friendly they have 15 million in cap space next year, so they've got a lot of money coming off the books, and I think that will put them in a better position to be able to sign Gasick Sandine to a longer term and more money.
0: Yeah, I know. I think they uh, Toronto has like almost too many left handed defensemen. Like they've got Riley, they got Brody, who you know Brody plays on the right side. They got Giordano, they got Muzzin, like. Granted, I don't think any of, like, especially like Muzzin, Brody, Giordano, those are guys who I don't think are going to be playing 82 games this season. Like, you're going to need a depth guy or guys who just give them a day off every once in a while. And I think that's, Sandine would be a good guy, but like, I almost wonder, is he signing he if like, given how late we are into the off season, I wonder if he signs like a Mikey Anderson contract, like a one year, 1 million, you know, kind of like a prove a deal, like and hopefully he's maybe hoping that you know he's going to get a bit more playing time, look at, gain a little bit more trust from Sheldon Keith, and then maybe he can you know ask for a little bit more money next season when you know they have Toronto does have more cap space like you said, and he can sign like a, maybe like a bridge deal almost, and you know try to take advantage of their opportunity he's going to get when you know those other guys might be a little bit older and might not be playing as many games.
1: I, I don't think it's a bridge deal. I think it's a hey instead of signing, let's say, I don't know, I mean, I'm tossing a random number right here. year. Instead of saying, hey, let's do a one year, uh, sorry, three years, seven and a half, two and a half per, I'm using a random number here. What if you sign one year or 1 million this year, and then you do, you know, two years at 3.75? You know what I mean? Kind of break up the, how the money is spent. Cause I think mean, that's the type of creativity you need, right?
0: Yeah, no, that kinda makes sense. Like I I'm still curious how the NHL is one of the only sports where like the AAV has to stay the same every year. I mean, like obviously salaries go up, which, you know, kind of reflects, you know, with the inflation and all that stuff. Like a lot of the players who are in the prime and signing like those long-term contracts, those salaries aren't always the same every year. That kind of like incrementally goes up because the players should be, you know, getting better each year. But like you look at basketball, right? Where their contracts, like the amount they make every year keeps going up and that's reflective in their cap structure, which is, you know, soft cap, which is different from the NHL. But like, I, I kind of agree with you, like in the end, like maybe it's, Sandine is going to get paid the same amount. It's just that it's not going to be in one contract where the A V is going to be, you know, 2.75. It's just going to be, you know, this year they had to, you know, pay him a little bit less just to, you know, fit him under the cap. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um well, speaking of defensive we who get signed to a super long term contracts like uh Zach Whitecloud. Uh, one of his teammates, uh Nick Haig is in RFA right now. Is he also not like a prime guy to get signed to like a ridiculously long term depth deal because it's Vegas?
1: Yes, just to stretch out the term. Um, I would even argue that if there's a guy who's going who could get offer sheeted, I could see it being Nick Hague. In the sense that you sign him for something like what the third the the minimum for a third round pick is, and the Golden Knights don't really have the cap to do that, anything about it, right? You're only allowed to go, I think, ten percent over it or fifteen percent over. It. I think they're near that right now. They're like the top of what you can do in the off season. And if you look at it, they they don't re- like you're gonna they're gonna be in trouble, right? Like they have a lot of money coming off the books in Weber and Leonard, yes, um, but they kind of need that money for. Their team in the regular season already. So, I mean, I could see it getting off. If there's a player to get off-sheeted, it'd be Nick Hague, in my opinion. I don't think he will. Um, but in terms of a salary for Nick Hague, I don't know, 1.9, 1. 1.8? Because he's not the most durable player either, right? He's played he's played 50-something games for the last three seasons, right? So he's not the most durable player a team that's kind of really stuck, really tight for money. I don't, I could see them all, yeah, doing a white cloud where it's just like, oh yeah, here's just money split up over term. But I'm not optimistic on that.
0: Yeah, like if you're going to, like 1.9 would put him in that um, third round pick compensation if a team offers sheeted him. Uh, Like if I'm looking at the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, the current team, you know, with the LTIR, with like Shea Weber and um, Robin Leonard, they're gonna have a cup a bit more money than it looks right now on Cat Friendly or Wikipedia. But like, I think that's kind of like maybe they want you know save a little bit of money so they can get some forward depth, maybe. But I, I mean, Nick Hag signed to a long term deal would be helpful. I don't know. I think he's durable. I think it's just that he didn't have a spot in the lineup per se. Like these last two years, like behind like guys like Theodore McNam Martinez, like he didn't really have a spot, so I think that's why he looks like he didn't play a lot of games. And um, he had a couple of injuries here and there, but not the sense where he's not durable. I would say, um, but yeah, like if I I, I wouldn't offer sheet him. Like I agree with you, but he he to me like I I would agree like what you said. But right? he's a prime guy to you know he's gonna make his money, but you know. Vegas is going to try to stretch out the term a little bit. Um, uh, let's move on to some lesser-known guys. Um, Parker Waterspoon Didn't play an NHL game this season. Hasn't played an NHL game yet either. But for some reason, he still remains unsigned by the New York Islanders. Um, he made 720, 725 last year was his cap hit. 750 was his salary. Um, what is Lou Lamorello, Lou Lamorella going to sign him to? for uh, next season?
1: Uh, four years, four and a half million total. Because if you look at a guy, like Parker Weatherspoon, um, he's a good guy, right? Last year at 127 penalty minutes, 24 points in 57 games for the Sound Tigers. Um, he's averaged more than one penalty minute per game his entire career, even in the WHL except for once, his first year in the AHL. Um, Sorry, twice, his first two years in the AHL. But he is what he is, right? Great guy. And Lou loves those. And Lou loves signing them to long-term big money deals for what they provide.
0: I mean, sure, I'll play along. Maybe like a four-year 1.1, a la our favorite New York Islander, Ross Johnson.
1: Yeah, four four point four No, but realistically he goes for what one year? Seven eighty.
0: I think he's making seven fifty. Like he he's gonna he's just gonna make the bare minimum. I think there's there's no way to really around it, I think, for him. Yeah,
1: I think if you're Parker Witherspoon's agent, you're more focused on the two-way, the minor salary more than the NHL salary, right? You're probably just gonna, all right, cool, seven fifty. In the NHL and the miners probably going for like one seventy five, two hundred.
0: Yeah, like I don't think he's better than Pelleck. I don't think he's better than Romanoff. Sebastian Aho maybe gives the Islanders like a different look. Like Aho's more offensively inclined, I think, and Park Wetherspoon's a little bit more defensively inclined. So like maybe he gets like that, you know, seventh D position. But um like yeah, I I it's gonna be interesting for I think uh Parker Wetherspoon here. Right. He's going to get signed. Just... Is he even the
1: 7th? Yeah, I'd say he, I'd argue he's probably a bit lower, but down. I would say probably Robin Salo. Maybe Cholowski is probably ahead of him. Maybe Bodie Wild's ahead of him.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say former King Paul LeDoux.
1: Uh, well, he's a right defenseman. They're separate.
0: So it doesn't matter. The 7th defenseman has to play everywhere. <laughs> that's why
1: they have Romanov.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Let's move on to um, Ryan McLeod on the Edmonton Oilers. Kind of a guy who, you know, obviously you're going to be behind, you know, McDavid, Dreisaitl. I guess Nuge is kind of, you know, a winger now, like he's not going to be playing what center. I think Edmonton's kind of realized, okay, Nuge cannot be a third center, like third line center, because that's just a waste of him. Um, like, Ryan McLeod, pretty much, you know, he's set in stone as the third center. If you were to sign him to, like, a one-year deal, a guy who's 22, put up 21 points in 71 games last season, how much are you going to be paying him?
1: Two two, and... 2.2? Two and 2. I'm just randomly spitballing a number. 2.2, 2, what, he's probably good for in a 30-game season next year. 30 points? And that gets you about 2.5. 2.2 2. 2 is these days. Like... The numbers don't look great in terms of how much cap they have, but I would expect Clefbaum and Mike Smith are probably not playing this year, um. So that frees up about six point four, and then they're carrying eight defensemen. I see. I could see Broberg getting sent down, especially if he doesn't have to clear waivers, and then either a guy of like Slade Kukuk or Ryan Murray gets sent down, right? And that clears up another what. Million and a half, two million. Especially about two million, million and a
0: half. Yeah, like I, I think um I don't know about two point two. I was thinking closer to like the one point five range, I would say, like that or even less. I think if you're Edmonton you're trying to convince like, hey, like, you know, you're you're a supporting character. You know, if you want to, you know, let McDavid and Dry win the cup for us because you know, they can win the cup for us, you're gonna to have to take, you know, not two points two, you're gonna to have to take a little bit less in. I think I kinda of see that for McLeod. Um I, I mean if he I think he can take a like a big step going into next season where he's gonna, you know, do a little bit more than just, you know, um uh, playing uh you know I think he's gonna contribute more than just being like a three C who gets like second uh unit penalty kill, second unit power play, but
1: Well I mean, but if you look at a
0: team like the Oilers, like you're probably pretty
1: set for the power play though, are you not?
0: Yeah, but I think he can he can have a larger role in the sense like he's not gonna be a secondary guy on that second unit. He's gonna be a guy who might be you know, pushing the player. He's maybe I don't think the power play runs through him, but I think he's gonna be given like a larger role in general. Like the coaching staff's gonna trust him a little bit more. And I think especially with um what's his name? Jay Who's the Woodcroft? Yeah. I I think he's because he played McCobb played under him when he was in uh Bakersfield, I wanna say like I think you know, he's going to get a just large role and, you know, he can make more money on his next contract.
1: I guess No, I, I could see that.
0: All right. I'm trying to make sure I don't repeat anyone. Um, uh, Let's go to another center. I don't know if they're on the same, maybe like a little bit less than a Ryan McLeod, but like Adam Ruzicka in the same province of Alberta. And, but over in Calgary, 28 points, I was sorry, 28 games, 10 points, kind of a guy who's, you know, What you would call in baseball as a quadruple A player, I would say. Like, does he have a spot on this Calgary Flames team next season? And if he does, like how much is he going to get paid?
1: Honestly, he seems the type of guy that probably you don't worry too much about, right? Like maybe like not more than what, a million in a bit? Like his last deal went eight oh one, right? So I think he eight fifty, sorry. So I think he's going to go above that. And I don't know if he gets more than a million, especially again, to me, a big one is how healthy you are. Right. And he's never played more than like 30, 40 games in professional career. Like how, like he's, that that's a concern for me, right? Like you need guys who are playing. Right. So um, that's a concern for me. They have a, a good depth chart right now, right? Their fourth line center is a guy like Kevin Rooney, who can play penalty kill minutes, right? He's useful in that sense too. And then your fourth line right wing is Trevor Lewis. Again, veteran leadership guy who plays a lot of games. And I think anything higher, at the same time for especially a young player, you need to play them more than just fourth line minutes to make sure they get developed, right? Like if they're playing, I don't know, eight minutes a game, nine minutes a game, 10 minutes a game. They're not like, it's going to much harder to develop them. And especially last year, I think he was scratched very often too, right? So I I suspect it's not going to be an NHL deal, right? Especially when they bring in Cody Eakin to a PTO. You could argue, yeah, they bring a PTO because of the preseason rules. You got to have a bunch of veterans, but that's another player who I think if they sign – uh, slots above Rizika, 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 Rizika. I don't know.
0: No, I agree with you. I think it's in he's kind of the same boat as Parker Wetherspoons in the sense that, um, you're probably as his agent looking more at that minor league salary than the you know NHL salary.
1: Yeah,
0: all right, let's uh move up in the center rankings and let's go to Barrett Hayden. You know, a guy I think he had a lot of hype being the fifth overall. I think he was drafted above slot than I think a lot of people were thinking. Like, when Arizona drafted him, I think they were thinking, oh, he's going to be the center of our of our franchise center. He's kind of been overtaken by Logan Cooley this season uh, when Cooley got drafted third overall, um, this most recent draft. But, you know, Barrett Hiddens has had pretty bad luck, got injured, hasn't really found his spot, Um on this team, I think we even were, when we looked, we did some research yesterday, we found out his most common line mates were Louie Erickson and Nick Ritchie, which is uh, not, 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 not a good sign if you're a developing player, but you know, I, we, I think we can agree for sure. We're not going to do like the one year um, guessing game of how he's going to sign for a one year deal. I think this is a guy that you're probably going to sign for a little bit more than one year.
1: I also don't think it's completely fair to to already write him off. I mean, like, if you look at... it, It's easy to write him off because if you look at the players drafted around him, right? Like, a Zadina, a Chuck, right? A Quinn Hughes, Kenyami, Like, you know, I mean, like, there was a lot of talent drafted around him, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, if you look past Boquist, like, a lot of these guys are still trouble, like, having some trouble, you know, Breaking through, right? Like, I think it's not fair to compare Keandre Miller, who was drafted 22nd to Barrett Hayden. Because in that draft, there was no way they would have drafted Keandre Miller at that spot, right? Like, that wasn't a comparable. And I, I don't think it's fair for them to do that. I think when you draft these gems, you give credit to the team that drafted them. You don't take away from the teams that didn't draft him especially if it's such a big difference. But after five, like, Kraft's okay. Bouchard's okay. Wallstrom's okay. Dobson's pretty good, I guess. But, like, I don't think he's is that isn't that bad a big. It's too early to say that. Like, give me, like, another you know, five years. And, you know, that's a different story, especially look at his line mates, right? Like, Louis Erickson and Nick Ritchie. Like, there's no foot speed there. And an increasingly quick game, there's no foot speed there. And I think if you look beyond that, right, like – I think he played, he played pretty well, like, honestly, for what he was given, right? Like, 24 points on a team that sucked, man. Like, remember, this is a team where Phil Kessel said, fellas at least, that that wasn't a team that was trying to win, right? And I think there's solid numbers there. Obviously not great, but I'd say serviceable. Like, I don't know – his development kind of reminds me similar to Lawson Kraus a little bit.
0: Yeah. Like I don't, I I think like he hasn't developed to where he could be. I think he's had a lot of starts and stops with his NHL career so far. Um, Like, yeah, I agree. Like, I'm not saying that like he's a bust or anything. I think he still has a chance to show everyone what he can be, but, I, I think it's interesting to see where Arizona Arizona sees him because, to me, I don't think they've ever thought – they don't seem to trust him to be that next guy who's going to be, you know, uh, like a top six center for them. Like, they bring in Nathan Smith. They bring in Jack McBain last season at the trade deadline, I think. It's a, kind of like almost like a telling sign saying that, like, they're l- – still looking to find you know people who are going to be down the middle for them for the next couple of years. But they don't seem to believe Bert Hayden is going to be one of those guys. But, I mean, if you're a smart GM, which I hope Bill Armstrong is, like I think you're – is it Bill Armstrong? I don't even know. Yep. Um, oh, no, is it? I don't even know, actually. The
1: Arizona Coyotes' GM is Bill Armstrong.
0: Okay. I'm not stupid. But, um, like, to me, like, you need to sign him to, like, a decent contract. Like, don't sign him to, like, a one-year deal and then watch him break out and then you're screwed. Like, I think you can sign him to, like, a longer-term deal. Like, I think the comparable we made yesterday was Kirby Doc, like, another guy who's, you know, hasn't really developed this, the way we thought he was going to be, really high pick, um, hasn't, you know, played a lot of games. Also, like... And he got a four-year deal, like three mil, and lots of numbers after that. Like, is it seems to me like if you're Barry Hayton's camp, you're going to be like, hey, look what Kirby Doc signed. I could probably make like a four-year, three million dollar per contract, maybe.
1: I think. So I think the comparable they'll go with is Lawson Crouch, and I think the comparable that the. Coyote's going with is probably Kirby Doc, right? I think it goes for about three point five and a four year deal. I think on a one year deal though, two point seven five.
0: Yeah, I think so. If you want to hit the cap floor eventually, if you're Arizona, right, you, someone's got to get paid. Maybe not two. Oh, I, I don't think I don't think there's any problem. Like, if you look at the amount of
1: teams that are
0: really tough on the
1: on the cap ceiling, they're just waiting for that. Right? Like I think the Coyotes just kind of waiting, just be like, all right, so. Once you guys check that out, like, we'll be there.
0: Yeah, no, 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 that's fair. All right, our last RFA, uh, Alex Fermentin of the Ottawa Senators. Um, I'm not sure how much he's going to... Uh, he's He seems to be another guy who's also going to get locked up long-term. Like, given what Ottawa's done this offseason, I, I don't see a one-year deal for Ottawa.
1: Alex Fermentin's interesting, I think. He's super young, but has star- played... So he's 22, but he's played parts of four NHL seasons. Yes, one season was one game, one season was nine games, but this is technically the fifth season he's played in an NHL game it takes 22. Right? Um his body of work is is a bit like more there. You know what I mean? 32 points, I think, in the as a UFA gets you what, four and a half, five million. Mm-hmm. I think as an RFA on a one-year deal, because, you know, I'll keep it consistent. Because consistency clearly has been a theme as it hasn't been. Um, three and a half?
0: 3.6? For how long, though? As a one-year deal. On a one-year deal, he gets about
1: 3.6, in my opinion.
0: On, I'm going to say 2 million or less. Because, like, this is a guy who's an RFA. He has no arbitration, rights, So he has, like, no leverage on his side, right? Like, if you're Ottawa, like you you have all the power in this negotiation, I think the key is like you're looking to sign him. You don't want to sign him to that one year deal, but if you had to, like you can just be like, okay, we'll sign you to like approve a deal, and if you show us that you can make growth, then we'll sign you to like a longer term deal that's a little bit richer, right? Like to me, I, I I don't see that like being like a whatever number you said, three point something. I think it's it's going to be like two mil or and probably less than two mil less
1: than 2 mil. You're really, you're really negative on that, aren't you?
0: Well, just the fact that, you know, he has no, like, leverage in this negotiation. Like, he probably is not playing top six, right? So, like, if... I, I don't know. He's also 22, right? Like, you're hoping he grows, right? So, I think it's a big step to suddenly go, like, oh, we're going to pay you in your second contract, like, three... You know what? You're million. right. Yeah.
1: I, I think you're right. Maybe, maybe is way too much to consider. Maybe
0: 2.7? Yeah. Like, I, I think these days it's almost like based on the point totals, like you should make that much money times, what was it 100,000? So, like, if, like, like you're saying, I think you're kind of like, oh, he's 32 points, he should make 3.2 million, right? Like, it, we're getting to that stage in the cap world where, I'm like, oh, you're, Eighty point score, you're gonna make it eight million dollars or something. I don't know. I just it, it's starting to get to that stage. That's like you're looking at point totals, but I I just don't see him making that three million. Yeah, so no, I think, I, I think you're right. You, you know, like it's way too much. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping all these RFA signs. Like I, I, oh, I think they all sign though.
1: Like the only one I can consider maybe that doesn't sign is Ruzica, who goes who goes plays in Europe or something
0: yeah i mean like i guess calgary would still own his rights right? but um hmm. yeah i'm not not exactly sure uh yeah i think we can agree like they're all signed um speaking of ottawa there were they did sign uh, one of their core guys to an extension and there are there's actually been a couple of big extensions that have happened since we last recorded um i kind of want to ask for your take like out of the three extensions that were signed within the last two weeks which one do you think is the best? Which one do you think is the worst? And you can tell me why. Um, the three extensions are um, Tim Stutzla, signed an extension that's going to start next year. Actually, it's a eight year deal worth eight point three five million, um, which you know is going to be his second contract. It's a year early. Um, the other one is JT Miller, who f- apparently is now staying in Vancouver after being in the rumor mills for the last two years. I would say. He's got a seven-year extension at eight million per. And then Tage Thompson, after breakout year this season, uh, not this season, last season, got a seven-year extension worth um, a lot of numbers. But basically, he's going to make fifty mil through the seven years. What is the best extension, and which one's the worst extension? I think the best for me,
1: like I think. Even the worst ones aren't isn't actually terrible. I think it, it's still a pretty good deal. Um, the best one for me is Tim Stutza, right? He's a stud, such a good player. Um, I don't know, like he, he, they've kind of. I'm. I think me along with a lot of Ottawa. So I guess I'm not a fan, but like Ottawa Center fans have kind of really appreciated that they're – okay, now they've kind of figured out their core, and it's like an exciting team, right? Like tickets for the home openers, very well sold. While meanwhile, in the past, if you went to a Leafs-Sens game, like 9% of people there are Leafs fans, right? Like it's actually – there's an excitement there, and I think – I'm excited too to see what this team's like. I think they've kind of gotten a very good top six now. Defense and goalie, not and, uh, great, but top six of T'Chuck, Norris, and Drew. DeBrincat, Stutz, and Batherson, and even if you include the third line of Formentin and Pinto and Matthew Joseph, that's a really good third line as well. With a lot of potential, right? Like once you take out thirty-four-year-old Claude Giroux, your next youngest, your next oldest forward is thirty-year-old Austin Watson, and those are the only two forwards they have that are over twenty-six years old. It's a very young forward core and i think that's really good i mean if you include scott sabrin i guess as well but you know the one this is short term deal he's not gonna, he's not part of the core right like besides that the forward core is more or less complete right so i uh, that's a really good deal and i think the worst one even though i don't think it is a bad deal is jt miller eight million hurts a lot but at the same time they do have a lot of money coming off the books, right? Like they still have fourteen million for next year, and the only big signing they've got, in my opinion at least, is well, I guess Niels Hoglander won't be a big signing because he's RFA. Well, he's Bo Horvat, so you have a lot of money to to play around with, and I think you have you have to secure part of your core, especially with I think you'll hear in the next, maybe not the upcoming year, but in a year or two. All you're going to hear about is, "Ooh, is Brock Bester going to get traded? Is Brock Bester going to get traded?" I think you need to keep your core to to send a message to your team that, like, look, we're still trying to compete, right? I, I think though, in a long in a, in a couple years, right, that Ekman Larson deal is is going to be a crutch. It's going to be a big issue. Um, but for now, I think GT Miller, you got to send a message to your to your core that you know you're you're trying to compete, and that's a deal that sends that message. Jeffrey.
0: Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you that Tim Stutzla is the best out of the three extensions. Um, I mean, he's 21. I think you have to sign him now because, you know, I feel like this season is going to be a breakout season. I would also like to say that I wonder if LA wish they uh, had drafted Stutzla instead of Byfield, maybe. Um, I wonder. If, I mean, Byfield could still develop, right? Like like you said before, like these guys are still very young. They haven't developed yet, but... I think if you're Kings, you're kind of looking over at Ottawa and be like, oh, we could have gone this guy instead of Bifield. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think you need a big a big center. To, you can't just have small, quick forwards, and I think at the end of the day, Kopitar is getting old. You need a replacement for that size, and I think that's kind of where the thinking comes in. But obviously, yeah, I would have taken Sutzla now. If you do a redraft, yeah, I'll take Sutzla, but I understand the thinking.
0: No, I, yeah, like, and I don't know, yesterday I was saying that I'm thinking it's, um like, JT Miller is the worst of the three, because he is 30, like, that extension doesn't kick in until he's 31, so that's a little bit dangerous, but JT Miller is also the type of guy who I could see, you know, ma- like, making it work, like, as he gets older, like, he's still going to be a productive guy. My thing, though, is, like, you can't look at that J.T. Miller contract in a vacuum, though. Like, yes, you you mentioned, okay, they have some cap space going into next season. And they don't have too many guys to sign. But, like, it's still, you have to sign Bo Horvat. That's a big sign. Uh, Hoglander, maybe not as big. But this is also a team that... I don't know if this is a playoff team. Like, this is a team that still needs to make improvement. And if you want to make improvements, you're going to have to spend some money. So, <sighs> to me, like, I think, in a nutshell, like... When you have Pedersen, Horvat, Miller down the middle, and all three guys could potentially sign for at least eight mil each, like maybe that's not a great use of resources. So I think that's why JT Miller is kind of my worst contract here. I
1: don't know if Horvat gets any more than eight million. I think he goes for like seven and a half.
0: But even if he is getting seven and a half, he's getting eight years, most likely, right? And Peterson's probably getting eight years. So like, are you is this team gonna be like, oh yeah, we're gonna go Horvat Miller down the middle and screw Peterson, right? Like this is a team that's gonna end up with these two guys down the middle and they're gonna be paying a, quite a bit of money for all. Well, them. no,
1: Peterson plays wing.
0: No, Pederson plays center. No, it's Miller, Horvat, and Dickinson.
1: Oh, I Pedterson's a winger. Second line is Petterson, Horvat, and Besser. Corner cap friendly,
0: at least. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I thought maybe Miller plays the wing sometimes. Wasn't there a six four nine? No, no. Wasn't it the six forty nine line? It was like Besser, Pedersen, Miller. So I get okay. Maybe it's not as bad, but still, like I don't know. To me, I think that Miller contract, given the age that he's signing in at, is probably the worst out of the three. Just because the other guys can probably grow still, and Miller probably will end up declining by the end of his contract.
1: Man, they could have really used the money from not having all over Ekman Larson on that team.
0: Or maybe even a Tanner Pearson.
1: Uh, You know, 3.25. Expires in 2024. I mean, it's not a big deal.
0: Yeah, no, fair. The Ekman Larson is more of a crutch than uh, all deals under contracts. Yeah. All right. So, you know, that's pretty much our episode today. Um, Do you have any uh, final thoughts there, also before we wrap up?
1: Uh, we had a really good final thought in the episode with technical difficulties. I can't top that one, so I'm just going to leave it as is. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks.
0: Maybe a uh, in-person episode?
1: All right, let's not get the hopes up. Let's temper expectations.
0: Yeah, well, if you all want to come to Olson's place, you guys can be part of the live audience for our uh, live show.
1: Let's continue tempering those expectations.
0: Fair, fair, fair enough. Um, you know, season's about to start soon we're gonna keep up with the every two weeks for now but uh when the season starts maybe we'll have a be a bit more frequent but you know i think we're just kind of enjoying the every two weeks right now where you know you guys are going to get good content you're going to get good episodes and uh who knows we'll see what we're going to do we we'll come the start of the nhl season but uh for now that's our episode this week and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys in uh two weeks bye
1: Thanks for listening to the Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.